Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. It's Quarantine Podcast. We're all going to do this show from remote locations. I'm Ryan Abraham, your host. We've got Keely Yor on the line, normally in studio, not right now, for social distancing concerns. We also have Dan Weber on the line. We're going to talk about USC football, a spring without sports. Dan wrote a great column. We're going to talk about that. I think you should all read it over at uscfootball.com. Uh, we're going to also talk about what they saw, they were out there for the first practice of spring last week, and now it's shut down, obviously. What they saw in that first day, kind of maybe looking forward to if there's going to be more spring football, we'll talk about that. And the impact this had, this shutdown has had on an athletic department that really was trying to build up some momentum with the fans, and now all of that is shut down with basketball, with women's, volleyball, uh, women's uh, water polo could have won a national championship. All that shut down. And it's sort of like start from square one again for this beleaguered athletic department that's really trying to get some wins after retaining Clay Helton. Uh, if you have any questions or comments for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. We got some questions for you today. Also, you can call or text us at 424-254-9141 is the number. And please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, wherever you can get the podcasts. Please subscribe to us and, of course, leave you know a five-star rating is always awesome. Any kind of positive feedback, we love all that. Any feedback necessary, you know, any feedback is great. But something like a five-star rating is always nice. It really helps grow the show. And we want to keep doing the shows throughout this coronavirus outbreak and the, the quarantines and all of that. We know that there's not a lot of entertainment out there as far as going outside or going to do things. So people are inside watching Netflix or wherever they're doing and people are listening to the podcast. We've got a lot of positive feedback that we are still doing shows, so we want to continue to do them and bring you some entertainment, talk about some sports. You don't have to be watching CNN all the time and seeing how many you know people are infected and all that. We want to still try to keep some sense of normalcy. You're going to be in the house, listen to the show. That's what we're trying to do here. So we're going to do that with myself and then Keely Yor, who is on the line up in Norho or something. Where are you? North Hollywood, something like that? How are you doing? Los Feliz, Los Feliz. Hello, hello. I'm sad I couldn't be there, Ryan, but you know, we got to take this seriously and be quarantined, but glad to be on the line still talking about sports. Sports are always a good distraction and hopefully we can provide that for people. Yeah, hopefully so. Thanks for doing this uh, remotely and uh, we should have better audio than we did on the tunnel vision because we do this all the time. Um, And we got (laughs) Dan Weber on the line too, coming from Tustin. So we're like all over Southern California. We're triangulated, I guess we could say, and and we're definitely uh, uh, keeping uh, social distancing, uh, I would say, probably, I don't know, what, 30-some 30, 30 miles uh, uh, <laughs> on each uh, each side uh, of this, so, uh, uh, but um, I think it's interesting how difficult a challenge this is in a way, because in all the other, so many of the other challenges, we needed people to come together. Here we need for people to come together, we need them to stay apart. And that's really hard. You know, it's, it's, as we know in sports, it's much easier to rally around when you can kind of rally around together. And now we have to kind of rally around apart 
as much as possible. It's a very, and it's a very difficult challenge. And it's a very difficult challenge. And, uh, you know, there's, there's some funny memes out there for like introverts to like feel, you know, to reach out to your extroverted friends who don't know what to do right now. I'm definitely more of a people person and extra. I like to get out there. Cause this is tough, you know, it's been a kind of adjustment, but then you feel better about it. Uh, I've been cooking more at home. I did a workout in my house this morning and, you know, yesterday was the last day I could go to the gym and take a class early in the morning. It was pretty dead, but um, they've closed all that stuff down now. So you're just kind of making adjustments and even us doing the show Sunday night, you know, remotely trying to get all the audio and stuff to work with two people in remote locations of video and stuff. All of that has been challenging. We're lucky enough where our jobs, we can work from home fairly easily. I know there's a lot of people that can't service industry, travel industry. So many industries are getting absolutely crushed economically by this. So we, you know, our our hearts go out to them, but hopefully we can provide a little bit of entertainment and make your day a little brighter. Um, And as you guys know, our longtime sponsor has been Trader Joe's and it's a, you know, if you want to try to go get food and, you know, anywhere across the country, it's been difficult going to the grocery stores and uh, got a note from Trader Joe's and um, you know, we wanted to thank them just for, you know, being open. They're, they're staying open. They've reduced some of the hours you know, their crew members, everyone I've talked to said that all the, the crew members that work there, they're getting, they're showing up every day. They're, you know, they're, they're really putting themselves at some sort of risk by, you know, seeing all those different people. It's not exactly what you want to be doing when you're trying to quarantine yourself, but it's amazing that, you know, so many businesses are closing, but because grocery stores are essential, they have to remain open. So we just appreciate them and what they're doing. There's so much confusion, so much uncertainty right now. And uh, thanks for, you know, for trying to, to, to be there. And, you know, I've, I've seen them allow seniors to go in early so they could get in first because there's, they're the most at risk uh, from the coronavirus and stuff. So just kind of hats off to Trader Joe's. And I know it's a difficult time, but we appreciate uh, you, know, you guys staying open. Yeah, without yeah. a doubt. I think one of the big challenges for those, uh, you know, for Trader Joe's and all the stores is uh, – keeping the shelves stocked. I mean, they might have the, you know, tractor trailer delivery overnight or whatever, but because the stuff is flying out of there so fast, just having enough people to, you know, to get the milk, you know, onto the shelves and all that is, uh, man, that, that takes a lot of work and they are busting their, you can, you know, when you're there, you can just see them busting their tails. It's just a whole lot of work and, uh, and very much appreciated. It is appreciated. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Keely. No, I was just going to say, if we're on the topic of thanking people, I think we've also, obviously, it goes without saying, but thanking all the health professionals out there who are working nonstop trying to help everyone in the nation, too. Yeah, I mean, so they're putting them, themselves on the line. Uh, you know, my mother was one for 40-something years. And uh, so, yeah, definitely appreciation for everyone out there and the healthcare workers that are you're trying to deal with all this. And that's why you're trying to flatten the curve. We're trying to stay separated so we don't have some horrible, you know, uh, occurrences happening at hospitals where they're just overrun. If you can flatten the curve out, it's going to be easier for all those healthcare workers to deal, uh, with the people that are sick and, and need assistance. Um, it's funny. And, uh, I do my meals on wheels on Wednesdays and I wasn't sure. I just found out that I will be still doing them. You wonder like, well, are you allowed to do those? But it's, it's sort of like being a grocery store. That's like an essential thing. Like, is there a risk for a younger person going to a bunch of elderly houses because, what if I'm a carrier and I don't know it and get it, but that's, it's kind of like you have to take that risk because they need to get these food deliveries. So um, yeah, there's, it's just weird. Like what you can, you know, Hey, you can, you can cut out the gym because it's not essential, but people trying to get food somehow either go in the grocery store or being delivered. You, you have to keep that going. 
I mean, there are some risks you just have to, you know, assume. Uh, you know, I noticed today in the press briefing in the White House, uh, among the media, they are now keep instead of being all bunched in every seat, you know, taken. There's like a seat between everybody in the in the briefing room, and I think that was a, a really smart thing to do. But one of the problems is the briefers. There are probably a dozen people uh, behind the podium with the president. And there's no way you can put that number of people uh, with enough, you know, the six feet between people. Uh, and there are times you just probably have to assume that, okay, there are some things that are important enough that we we do have to take a risk, just not not crazy risks, you know, not, you know, trying to see how many people you can get in the bar on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, you just, you don't need to do that probably this year. All right, happy St. Patrick's Day. I totally forgot it was St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Um, right. Yeah, it was weird. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah, you forgot it. Yeah, it's just it's just a strange, strange, strange time. But I wanted to start off because um, sports are it's important in our society, and I'd love for you to go um, check out Dan Weber's column, and it's it's called "And Just Like That, uh, It Was All Gone," and that's from two days ago, March fifteenth. So go check it out. He put it up over the weekend. Um, just a lot of you know, you know, everyone knows Dan has great stories and between him and his wife, all the, the, the events they have covered and they're, you know, Dan's been around where tragedies have kind of, you know, turned into like, Hey, sports is going to help you heal after those tragedies, either nine 11 or the Olympic bombings in in uh, Atlanta, just, there's been so many events. And when you're there with, you know, f- with sports involved, it's just a great way to kind of bring society together and, uh, and pick people up. He mentioned George W. Bush throwing out the first pitch at a Yankees game, um, things like that. You remember? I, I mean, I mean, I remember the uh, the first uh, the the first Iraq War, and you had uh, Whitney Houston singing the national anthem at the Super Bowl. It's still like one of the most stunning performances I could ever remember. It just still gives me goosebumps thinking about it. Sports just get involved in uh, you know in problems in our country and in the world, and it's a it's a great call, Dan. I loved I loved your work there. I hope everyone go and uh, check it out. Yeah, I mean, I just started thinking about all the times that you've you've gone through, you know, what are crises that were, you know, in my life, they're almost always going to be involving sports. Uh, but I do remember, for example, in Atlanta, that, you know, we all remember the bombing, but that became the most successful Olympics ever in terms of attendance. Uh, you know, the bombing uh, didn't scare people off. Uh, there were more people at more events uh, than ever before in the history of the Summer Olympics. So, you know, but again, the the incentive there was to everybody come together, rally around, and and uh, sports, uh, you know, provides a way to do that, which is why, you know, you got to figure out a way, I think, you know, as much more important as dealing with the coronavirus and, and handling the, you know, economic impact and all the other things that are going to happen as a result. The sooner we get back to sports, it, it will be like, you know, the, maybe the canary in the coal mine. If we're back to sports and talking about sports uh, uh, September 5th, when the Kentucky Derby might be the, you know, the lead end of the Alabama-USC game, then we're in a good place. And I think we have to do everything in our power. And that means everybody. 
to get us back to that place, to get us through the summer or to the summer, through the summer. I mean, I would like to see the Olymp- or the uh, NCAA rearrange college sports. Uh, I think this would be a good time to do it. Uh, the NCAA still is on the old, old, old model of fall semester, spring semester. That's not that's not how college athletes for sure go to college. They basically have three semesters. Everybody goes to summer school. Everybody goes to, uh, and and I think most college students probably do that. And uh, I would like to see the NCA, for example, instead of trying to crowd every sport into fall semester, spring semester, play some sports in the summer. I think uh, college baseball ought to be played and softball ought to both be played through the summer and kind of, uh, you know, with the same kind of uh, uh, opportunity for people to watch baseball as they do if you have a minor league team in your town, let's say, uh, and and play the College World Series in August when about the only thing going on in college sports is, uh, you know, they're starting uh, fall football practice. But uh, I think they could have done that. I think they might still be able to do that if they'd really want to think about it. Uh, and, you know, if it if it's not more than two months, maybe try to bring back the, you know, the, the March Madness in, you know, late May or June. Uh, at least have a draft. I, I would, or not a draft, but the uh, selection Sunday. I think that would have been great TV. Everybody was finished with the regular season. Why not, you know, dra- uh, seed all the teams and, you know, USC, you know, can find out where they would have, you know, where they would have been and, uh, you know, have a sense of, hey, you know, this is what we accomplished. And with the hope that maybe everything went well, you could bring it back to start the summer uh, and go ahead and play it. I mean, I wouldn't have given up on it, I don't think, this soon because it matters so much. And even if you can't do that, you could do whatever you can to try to keep as much of it, you know, with people at home. People at home would have loved to have had, and and even this Sunday, would love to go through a a selection Sunday to have, like, live sports uh, of any kind on television. And uh, you could argue about it and have fun with it. And and you could do a lot of things. I think a lot of the coaches have have big bonuses attached to do they make the tournament or not. Uh, what I would have liked to have seen is, uh, and, and I know other people have said this, uh, have the coaches come together and say, we're going to donate all our bonuses to the workers at all the arenas who aren't going to be able to work now. Uh, I just think they could have, I think America needs people to do things like that. I know Kevin Love uh, donated a hundred thousand dollars and Rudy Gobert, you know, kind of in a penitent way uh, is donating uh, half a million dollars and uh, Zion Williams has stepped up. and, And a lot of those, you'd like to see everybody at every level in sports now who could do it to step up and, and maybe, you know, come together and, and donate money, uh, you know, to pay for all these people that keep all the arenas going. And, and that's, you know, kind of a part-time job that they're not going to have for a long time and kind of, you know, make up for, you know, the money that they're going to lose. I think there are some ways we could keep sports going for people's lives if we really work at it and think about it. Yeah. But it's a, it's a great piece. I, I recommend go checking it out and just, you realize how much sports does help 
uh, people to heal. So you don't want to put people in harm's way, but if there's a way to get, you know, athletics going again, it's, it's going to be, uh, great for the country. It's going to be great for the world just to get, you know, that people excited again. Um, I wanted to talk about the first practice cause there was one, I didn't get to see it, uh, unfortunately, cause I was at an event down in, uh, San Diego with our, our friend Jake Olson, which was great, but it did keep me from watching the first practice. Um, all pretty well, all events were pretty much shut down right after that. So wouldn't be able to do those again anyway, but, uh, everyone wanted to know how different things looked, uh, or was going to look at practice when you have a new special teams coordinator and how those, how that would be structured. Also a new whole defensive staff. So how that was going to be structured. Did practices look much different? Uh, I guess get, any thoughts you want to share from what you saw that one day of practice, uh, Keely, we'll start with you and then we'll get Dan. Yeah, I mean, it still hasn't hit me that this is probably the one and only practice we'll see for a while. Um, I know Dan and I differ a little bit on this, but I thought the scheduling of practice was similar to what we've seen. Um, The thing I noted this on Tunnel Vision, the thing that stood out to me was actually the special teams period. That was a period where I feel like former defensive coaches kind of sat back a little bit or let the special teams unit do their thing and then practice would resume. But what I was impressed by was it was a full all hands on deck effort from the defensive staff, Dante Williams, Craig Niver, Todd Orlando, Vixa Oto, all of them were in there having some type of role. And obviously Craig Niver was the special teams coordinator at Texas. So it makes sense that he was involved. He was screaming his head off. Um, but all of them, so Oto was like organizing the different groups of first team, second team going on, uh, going on each rep and whatnot. But I was just really impressed by how every portion of practice seemed important to the defensive staff rather than, I guess, in previous regimes, we've seen them kind of take some, some portions of practice off or whatnot, but just seeing, you know, the differences in the, the defensive scheme and whatnot, it was hard though. It was, it was a no padded practice. So it wasn't like we could come away from it going like, yeah, they're hitting full speed. It's such <laughs> a difference in physicality. You know, it's just the first uh, practice of the acclimatization period. So not much we can fully take away from it, but that was, I guess, to, to intro the first thing that really stood out to me when I was watching practice. Yeah, I, I would say one of the first things, as Keely noted, about special teams was it was not only all hands on deck, but all hands on players where Craig Nivar or Todd Orlando, they were grabbing guys and making sure, you know, and I, I know guys were probably, oh, wonder what he's doing here. Uh, you know, they uh, and, and they were they made themselves, uh, you know, when the offense would make a great play, you'd have Nivar high five and her, her Todd Orlando running 60 yards downfield to congratulate Brew McCoy, uh, mm-hmm. on a, on a touchdown, you know, really, uh, you know, really nice play that didn't happen. We didn't see things like that. Now on day one, not in pads, you're not going to get a chance to see the defense do what you hope the defense is going to do. But we did see, I mean, literally the first 11 on 11 pass completion was, a, you know, Chris Steele, uh, you know, leveled uh, Brew McCoy. Brew caught the ball in contact, but uh, uh, there were more tackles, even though there probably shouldn't have been. Um, but uh, I think that was just, they were playing, you know, so physical and so aggressive. And they wanted to show, you know, the coaches what they could do. I thought the, uh, the competitiveness in, in, the, in, in the pass game, gave us some real insights into, you know, Gary Bryant, had he 
had they been playing soft and kind of patty cake and all that, you know, we'd have seen, oh, man, he looks quick or whatever. But watching him catch the ball consistently through contact and competing for the football because the defense was competing so hard, I know it gave me more insight into, you know, when you say, holy criminy, that kid can really play. I don't think we were we were going too far because of the competitiveness of the practice. You just got a very, I think, a much better read on, um, you know, on like a Gary Bryant. And then, you know, you went through the all the wide receivers. I mean, here you, you've lost to Michael Pittman. Uh, Drake London was still uh, at, uh, at basketball. He's still in Las Vegas. And uh, Amon Ra St. Brown is still coming back from sports hernia surgery. And the wide receiver group looked terrific. I mean, we, we got to see Kyle Ford healthy, and he looked like he's leaned out a little bit, uh, making plays. Uh, uh, Josh Jackson, you know, making plays. Uh, it was a, a very – and then Daniel Amata Baby comes back looking like Daniel Amata Baby. And that was big time. I mean, he made some very physical plays and, you know, really put pressure – on his, uh, you know, groin, hip area, and all that, where the, you know, and thigh, where the injury has been, and um, I just thought, you know, we we got to see some things that we wouldn't have known what we were seeing had they not been as competitive as they were. I think the one thing we saw on defense and special teams is they broke down uh, the pursuit lanes, and really, that was even a, a, a place where Clay. Clay got very much involved, and I think all you had to do was watch the Holiday Bowl film to know that there has to be some discipline, and they were running them through uh, uh, blockers with, uh, you know, with pads, with dummies, uh, with the air dummies, and bouncing off them and with the, you know, with the gunners bouncing off guys and spinning and still keeping, you know, uh, an eye on the football and all that. A lot of things that they didn't do last year. So, you know, they have been paying attention. Uh, they didn't just go right into coverage. They went into breaking down the coverage and then uh, putting it together. And there's a just watching Sean Snyder talk to Ben Griffiths. It's just, you know, this 30 year, uh, you know, this guy was a former All American punter, 30 years at a program where they've done almost everything right to be able to be as good as Kansas state has been over the years. You have to do really everything right. And to see that guy out there talking to the special teams guys, there's just a, there was a confidence level that you had. So I think, you know, we saw a lot uh, from the first day, even without pads that, uh, and I, I will say one other thing to what Ryan wrote about how badly USC needs the spring and how badly they, one thing you got to think about, everybody's kind of in the same boat. And with 17 starters on offense and defense back and all the special teams guys back, uh, USC's farther along than almost anybody in the country, bringing back 82% of the productivity from this last year, uh, which is one of the highest top five marks in the country, and going against, say, in Alabama. Who, who brings back, I think, 55% of its productivity, one of the lower marks in the country. Uh, I think no matter how it goes, if they add another week to you know summer practice or whatever, 
when it comes to starting the season next year, I think USC's got an advantage. I think when you're as far along offensively as this group is, um, I think USC going into next season, probably as much as we you'd say, oh, it would be good if they could all get the new defense going and all that. And they're going to have time probably to do that. It's going to be simpler. And the whole, you know, emphasis is going to be on hitting people and tackling. Uh, if they get that done, I don't know schematically how much that's going to matter, but schematically on offense, I think USC's got a big advantage going into next year, however next year plays out, just because, you know, I mean, and one of the things we saw is Keaton Slovis' arm looks like it's in 100%. I mean, I don't think they knew that, you know, until a week before spring practice, but uh, that, that has to make, you know, USC fans feel pretty good about next year. Yeah, I mean that's and I, that's kind of wrote this morning, and we talked about this a little bit on Tunnel Vision, and uh, you know there was some good momentum, and I know for all the people out there, we all understand Clay Helton's still the head coach, and we understand it was the worst recruiting class ever, and got blown out by Iowa. I'm just saying, since then, there's been a lot of momentum uh, from the athletic department, and just some good things have been happening. There's some things that are kind of small that maybe future stuff like. Uh, you know, getting rid of the UC Davis game. That you know, that's a nice move. Those are singles that I think were being hit. And there was, a, you know, others like you know, restructuring the athletic department, getting rid of some of the people that have been down there a long time. Uh, you know, getting hiring a whole bunch of new support staff people. There was a lot of that. But the basketball team, you know, sweeping the Arizona schools, beating UCLA, getting a buy in the Pac-12 tournament. Then that all goes away. Uh, you know, potential to make a Sweet 16 run or something. I think. Uh, the uh, coaches poll had USC's number 35 in the country to end the season. Yeah, it's pretty good. Like it, it, there's a chance to make a run there and see what happens. Um, but you know, that goes away. That was, that would have been some nice momentum to get fans excited. Obviously spring football, people were excited for, they were going to practices open. They were going to tackle to the ground, all that stuff. Now it goes away. It was talk until you could actually see it. And now it's just talk because you didn't actually see it and it didn't happen. And even that, of course, it's spring football. What does it mean? But if the fans were out there like, man, it looked different from what I've seen before, it at least would have been able to get them some momentum. And even Shotgun mentioned the the momentum on the recruiting side. It looked like, you know, they picked up one commit. There looked like there were going to be a few more. Now recruiting's basically shut down, so there's not going to be as much there. There's just a lot of potential momentum that they could have used this offseason because they want to get season ticket holders to be excited again. And can you really do it until you go out and play Alabama? Yeah, not for everybody, for sure. But there's there's some things you could do to try to build that momentum. And it's you know now there's no opportunity to do that anymore with the, the coronavirus outbreak and everything being shut down. But they do have the ultimate in building momentum, which is what we saw with Pete Carroll. <laughs> play a Southeastern Conference team, you know, Early in the year, opening you know, opening uh, Southeast, opening your schedule that way, and that's the ultimate momentum momentum builder. And uh, you know, are they going to be ready? Are they going to give? You know, they're going to be do some able to do some things on offense that makes life really difficult for a, a Southeastern Conference defense, even one as good as Alabama. I don't know, but it's something you can think about and think. You know that. Well, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to see you know, how this plays out. But USC at least has the ability to make their own momentum if they do so. You know, if you were opening up with New Mexico, for example, it doesn't matter. 
you know, this is the way to do it. That's how it worked with Pete. And, uh, you know, uh, it's there if you uh, if you're going to, you know, if you want to take advantage of it and you can take advantage of it, it's there for you. I mean, you talk about instant credibility, instant, mo- you know, momentum. Uh, you know, a lot of people say there's no way, there's no possible way. It's not a it's not a chance, but uh they're going to be able to throw the ball in ways in which are really, really uh, special. If they can throw, if they can run the ball, especially if they can run the ball against Alabama. I mean, and can they put five guys there and, and can they practice in a way that, that we weren't sure. I mean, I think the jury is still out uh, that Graham Harrell can absolutely put an offense together. That's going to, you know, have a great deal of impact and going to be greatly improved um, as he proved last year. Can he put together a run game that will do that? I know Graham answered us when we asked him that and said, all oh, they have to be injury free have to get healthy. Uh, is that enough? I mean, you know, are they going to, are practices going to allow them to do the kind of, you know, hitting and the kind of, you know, you know, do, uh, work that USC would have to do to become the kind of team that can run the ball in the toughest of circumstances. They got enough running backs to probably be able to do that. But uh, can they make that happen? We haven't seen that uh, in a long time. And, uh, you know, and Ronald Jones did what he did basically on his own. But can we see that now? I, I mean, that's the big key, I think, going into the – End of the fall. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Keely? Can I? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, can I jump in here with some pessimism? I'm sorry. But I just think this spring was so important for USC. And I argued on Tunnel Vision that I feel like teams that just got new coordinators, a.k.a. USC, are at a disadvantage with what happened uh, just with the coronavirus because you can't replace practices. You can't replace those physical reps that teams and players need to gel and get that chemistry and learn a new playbook, learn a new scheme. And I know Dan argued that it's more about physicality and not uh, so much about scheme, but even that needs learning for USC. So I think I would argue that a New Mexico would be better for USC to play at the start of the season rather than Alabama, because you can't really kind of cram, do a study session of cramming, if you will, for an Alabama, whereas you can and kind of get the kinks figured out against a New Mexico um, to start the season. So I I don't know. I think this is a time where I feel like player-run practices, if they're able to go on when they normally do, are going to be very important. Um, but I just have so many questions. You know, I, I think I was really almost a little bit concerned with how many lingering injuries USC had coming into spring, um, like a Vivai Malapai, a Marquis Step. Um, so will this time actually help guys like them? And JT Daniels, I mean, you basically put the momentum that Keaton Slovis could have built this spring on hold. And so you kind of give JT Daniels an advantage to come back whenever football does come back to compete, um, maybe at a better level of health than say if he was at spring. Well, we know it'd be a better level of health. So just so many questions, but my main point I think is just, I think USC is definitely at a disadvantage that they have 14 practices taken away from them that would have been really valuable to set the tone and get this new scheme down uh, for the defensive players. Well, 
I would I'll give you the other side of that. Alabama's going to lose 15 practices because they were starting a week later. Uh, and I don't know. I wouldn't emphasize that USC needs to learn the offense or learn the defense. They know the offense. Uh, they just have to run it. Uh, and I think the emphasis on learning the defense was a Clancy deal. And you really need to be able to play the defense. And they didn't play it in practice. And they, you know, that benefited nobody because they were always nervous about putting any anybody new out there because they thought, oh, they didn't, you know, it takes a couple of years to learn this defense. That's because they weren't playing it in practice. So I don't think, I don't think, you know, I wouldn't look at it as much as I think that, you know, the the longer it gets put off and whatever they're going to give them in the summer, let's say to make up for it will be a good thing because USC, I think it's a really good thing if um, JT Daniels is healthy and can push Keaton hard in practice. I think that's a great thing for USC. Uh, I think getting the running backs all healthy and whenever they get together again, I think that's a great thing, uh, you know, for USC. So, I think I'd rather have everybody back and competing hard and going hard, uh, however much they give them in the uh, summer before fall. Uh, I think they're, I mean, they're ready to go with uh, the player run stuff, I think. I think they really do know this offense. Uh, and I think they'd be able to, you know, incorporate the younger guys as they go. Even, a, what was it, I think, we got a note the other day that somebody's doing a, a trying to evaluate how did the five stars that came your way, how did they do and how does it look for the future? And, uh, and the two they wanted to check on were Brew McCoy and, uh, and Kyle Ford. How did they do? Well, they basically got no chance to do anything last year. So now USC has two kind of brand new five stars that you add add to the mix. So, you know, that may be optimistic, but I think there's a, a good reason for USC to be optimistic. Uh, and, you know, do they have to get the defense all on the same page and that? Yeah. But I don't know that this is the kind of defense that, you know, that, that, that Clancy felt like they had to have kind of an NFL understanding of all of the nuances and what have you. I think Todd Orlando is a much more of a, let's get out there and go get them guys. Uh, and, you know, I think USC's got enough talent to play like that. But uh, so I'm not looking at it as a big a disadvantage. Uh, I think maybe as Keeley does. Um, we, uh, since we're talking about, I think we can switch over to questions, Keely, but we have. Sure. Uh, with uh, the podcast I did yesterday on Monday with Harvey Hyde, he's always had uh, you know reservations about the air raid offense and and throwing the ball so much. And we did get a question from Curtis from Reno Valley about you know what was Alabama going to do? Are they going to have to drop eight guys back into coverage and uh, how would that work? But he had a follow up email. I thought we'd play it here, but it's basically kind of addressing um, what he talked about a little bit on the, the Harvey Hyde show, but then bringing up, you know, the Joe, Joe Burrow situation and how much LSU threw the fo- football around the field. Let me play it for you. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. Hey, Ryan, I should have told you guys this before I, uh, or part of my last call, 
during the playoff, one of the announcers said that Joe Burrow led the nation in uh, percentage, passing percentage versus a drop eight coverage. LSU passed the ball so much until people used the drop eight coverage on them a whole lot. They ran the ball also, but this guy had 50, 60 touchdown passes. Coach uh, Hyde asked what what team passes the ball that, that are one of the top teams held a national championship team. Coach O is throwing. He runs uh, a little less than 50-50, but against drop eight coverage, Joe Burrow was the best. I'm sure Keaton Slovis uh, can be that good. Thanks a lot. Bye. Well, I mean, we can only hope he can be that good. I mean, Joe Burrow had one of the greatest years in the history of college football last year. So, I mean, I think it's a great, you know, and Keaton, uh, I guess, uh, pro football PFF guys said that he had the highest uh, percentage of catchable passes that are more than 10 yards downfield of anybody in the country last year. So that's a heck of a good starting point, considering he's a true freshman. Uh, But I think Joe Burrow... Uh, would have encouraged people uh, if you were playing Alabama or playing, excuse me, LSU, you'd have to think about dropping eight. But I don't think he could afford to, even though, you know, they didn't have household names running the ball. uh, LSU was physical enough and consistent enough that they could run the ball. And unlike last year, when it was like USC gets to Brigham Young and everybody goes, oh, no, they're going to drop eight. What are we going to do? How do we fit, you know? USC ought to go into every game this year and say, I hope you drop eight. If you drop eight, we're going to run it down your throat. You're going to have three guys up front. We are going to be able to block the – now, they couldn't block the three guys at, at uh, Brigham Young. That was inexcusable. Uh, but I don't – you know, whether – how big a you know deal the USC running game is going to be, uh, you have to be good enough that nobody can drop eight on you. And if they don't drop eight, uh, this this receiving core ought to be good enough. I mean, I think it's going to be awfully hard if you're a corner or you're a safety or you're a linebacker. I think matching up against uh, uh, Daniel Baby is really a tough call. Uh, you've got a 6'5", Drake London. How do you match up with him? I mean, teams, as it turned out, we're having a lot of trouble doing that. Um, you know, now you got Gary Bryant. I think he fits the – he's a player USC hasn't had for a good while with that kind of with that kind of speed. Tyler Vaughns was making, you know, one circus catch after another. It looks like he said – he's told himself, I'm a senior. I got to be the leader here. And we know, you know, what Amon Ra uh, can do. There's just – and then you're going to get, you know, a Kyle Ford and – uh, just one player after another, Brew McCoy. I mean, you know, we can go through seven or eight, and they say, "Oh wait, I didn't mention Brew McCoy." I mean, this is going to be an offense that ought to be a load for people to defend. And if they can't drop eight, and USC's you know run game has to not let them drop eight, but uh, but yeah, I don't I don't think you know you can say, "Oh, they're going to throw the ball; they can't win the national championship." I don't think that's you know that's the case anymore. I think Oklahoma has shown that you know you can do it, and now believe it or not, an LSU 
showed everybody, you know, what you could do with that kind of uh, sophisticated uh, passing attack where you just assumed that you were going to throw it and they were going to catch it and that there wouldn't be much the defense can do. And uh, I think USC is getting close to that. Uh, uh, they obviously have to give him the protection. But, uh, but I think either Keaton or JT are, are going to be able to, to do the kind of things you have to do to win it at that level. Yeah. Any thoughts, Keely? Not really. I think Dan covered it. Okay. <laughs> he usually does, but okay. Mm-hmm. Shall we jump into questions? Yeah. First one is for you, Ryan. It's from Don. He says, Ryan, Clay Hilton certainly sounded different from last year. Only one practice, but at least you didn't feel like turning the sound off. What was your impression of him post-defensive house cleaning? I think he's mentioning uh, Clay's uh, press conference after Wednesday's practice. Yeah, you know, um, I encourage you guys to go watch Tunnel Vision as well. I mean, not Tunnel Vision, um, Instant Analysis as well <laughs> from after practice. They did uh, a good job kind of summing things up, and Keeley captured a lot of that first practice. Um, it did feel a little different. I don't know. I, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts too, but it did feel a little different to me. I feel like, you know, Clay Hilton knows that there's a new sheriff in town as far as the athletic department. It's not going to be just levels of incompetence above him where he can just kind of skate along. They, he had to make changes even more so than the five and seven season. They had to bring in people that he was unfamiliar with people that wasn't, they weren't going to be comfortable the hires weren't got rid of the closest people to him on the staff, like a Johnny Nansen or a Clancy Pendergast or a John Baxter. His sort of support system was gone. And I feel like now, you know, it's put up or shut up time. You just go to go out there and win games. So that that was kind of the impression I got because it's really the people that his his security blanket from a coaching standpoint is completely gone. And now it's just about go win. So I felt like he was a little more focused on that. I don't know what you guys think. Well, I thought that's a good that's a good way to say it. I think by making him throw away his security blanket uh, blankets, I got a sense of a more secure Clay Helton. That I think deep down, one of the problems USC staff has had over the years is I think they knew they weren't prepared. I think they were hoping they were prepared, but there wasn't a confidence level that they really could get it done. And they were just hoping things would turn out all right. I think when, you know, and they've only been there, you know, three, four weeks, I think Clay has been kind of transformed a little bit. Now, you know, don't start, you know, throwing things that, you know, as, as Joe Biden would say at your phonograph player or your, you know, radio, but, uh, uh, don't, you know, start getting upset if we say that Clay looks like maybe he's changed a little bit. But I didn't hear a lot of cliches the other day. I think there were, you didn't have that sense that you wanted to scratch your, you know, your fingers on the on the blackboard or whatever. You, you just had, he seemed focused on, this is who we are. This is what we have to do. We've got high expectations. We got to learn how to tackle people. We got to do things, uh, and it wasn't—it wasn't what we have seen before. It—it it, it wasn't a rep. I mean, it wasn't you know those phrases that I don't even want to bring up uh, that we used to hear fairly regularly. I, I don't think we heard heard that much of that at all. It was more of a professional sounding 
confident guy. Um, and who is more of just the, the CEO? He's not a hands-on guy nearly as much. And, you know, that may be where his comfort level is. But it was an interesting thing. The guys that made him comfortable are gone. He looked more comfortable. What do you think, Kelly? I thought that, like you said, there was a definite improvement in PR in the sense that he said the right things. He didn't say too much. He didn't say too little. He addressed what needed to be addressed, but didn't over-flourish it. He didn't add hyperboles. It was just like, here's what we're doing. We know what is required of us. We know the expectations, and we're going to do it. And I think that's what's needed. I think overall, I think this offseason has been strategic from a Clay Helton PR standpoint. Um, in the press releases for the new coaches, he only had a quote for the defensive coordinator, not the rest of the staff. Um, the bas- UCLA basketball game, they kind of were smart in introducing him. So I think there's been a lot more uh, attention to detail as far as what Clay Helton says matters and to really uh, walk that line carefully. So I think it was better. Now, it was day one. He could have come out there after a, a great tackling session a couple weeks ago and been like, we're the greatest team tackling ever. You know, like sometimes he gets ahead of himself. But so far, that one practice, he did uh, hit the right notes. All right. Uh, we should move on to the next one, Keely. Good stuff. All righty. Um, let's go to a question. I They didn't put their name. Uh, but they said, hi, Ryan and Dan. It seems like a blessing in a lot of ways that our QB numbers are limited in spring. That way we can have to practice running the ball, which we need to work on, and our defense pra- practices stopping the run and edge containment, which they also need to work on. Wouldn't it make sense if the QBs aren't ready to focus on these new areas? Also, with Niver having worked on special teams, isn't that a major bonus to ha- make sure players are motivated? He seems like someone who could e- easily light you up. Both of those are really good observations. I think you're exactly right. I think the run game is going to determine how uh, good USC's offense can be. The more they work at it, uh, the better it is. Uh, I like the idea that, and we didn't see it much. I like the idea last year when they did a lot of goal line stuff on offense, they threw the ball, and that was good. And when they got to the goal line, they threw the ball well. And that helped them if you were, you know, the opponent had to play pass and it's tough to play pass on the goal line and stop the run. I probably would have liked to have seen them work a little bit more on the run. And I know you got to balance every, you only got so much time. Uh, but I thought they had pretty decent success, except when they had the obvious run situation where you just pretty much had to run the ball and the, your opponent knew you had to run the ball. That's where they've got to get better. They've got to figure out how to do that, how to do more of that. And we'll, we'll see how that works in, uh, in Graham Harrell's offense. I don't think we got to see enough of that last year. Partly you were, you know, you had already lost all three running backs by, uh, you know, game seven or whatever. So uh, that wasn't as easy to do last year, but I'll be, you know, interested in seeing how that is. And yeah, Craig Navar looks like he could still light you up. And uh, it's, you know, watching those guys play defense against the run, I think will be good, you know, for both both sides of that. And again, that was the secret for so much of what uh, uh, Pete Carroll's teams got right. And I still, you know, remember when uh, uh, like Sean Cody would talk about, I'm trying to remember who was the All-American tackle he was going against. Uh, 
Uh, first Sam, offensive Sam All-American. Baker huh? Oh, wait. Oh, wait. No, uh, before Baker, um, oh, the, the first one that Pete had was an offensive tackle. Why can't I think of his name? Oh, gosh. Anyway, those two would study the film of opponents, and each of them would do to the other – in practice, what was going to happen when they got to Saturday's game? Um, Jacob Rogers was it? Jacob Rogers, I think it was. Oh yeah, Jacob. Uh, oh, yeah, he was a. He was. He was the game. first one, I think. Yeah, first one. And those two would give the other guy uh, a taste of what is going to happen when they would go ones against ones. They didn't do it a lot, but enough during the week. And so you'd been playing against an All-America tackle. Uh, who was better than the guy you were going to be playing against Saturday, no matter who you were playing. And that was the kind of competition that made that, uh, made those early P Carroll teams so good. And I think that's what USC has to get back to where you get that kind of, uh, competitive preparation every week, especially in the run game. I think the run game, if you can run the football and stop the run, you are going to win football games. It's just that simple. If you can really throw it, so much the better, obviously. Yeah. But uh, if you can run it and stop the run, it's not that difficult an equation. You can do that. You got a real leg up on on being a good football team. And the problem is there are some injuries at the running back spot too. So it wasn't like that'd be a full complement of running backs either. Oh, no mm-hmm. question. Yeah, that's uh, so. Which is why losing spring right now might not be the worst thing if they can get more time in the summer to make up for it. And then, and they've got a healthy, uh, you know, full stable of running backs uh, able to take advantage of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a question from Earl in West LA who said, Dan, this past Friday, I renewed my season tickets and I'm going to the Alabama game. The next day I see Clay Helton and his staff at the basketball game where we prevented the Bruins from calling themselves Pac-12 champions. Sweet. Clay was introduced almost as an afterthought, and by the way, I booed him, but no one could hear. His lack of responsibility <laughs> and the focus on his assistant gives one the impression he is more of a figurehead than the man in charge. Maybe the perception will change once practice starts, but the vibe is certainly there. What do you think, Earl in West L.A.? Yeah, Earl, I tried to listen. I couldn't hear any any of the boos, so you have to maybe work on that a little bit. Uh, I thought they did it really well, and I don't... I was surprised that there weren't any that I could hear, and I thought it was done well. I don't know that the booze necessarily do anything right now. We need Clay Helton. If you're USC, if you're a USC fan, you have to tell yourself, "Hey, I need Clay Helton to be as good as he can be," because this is a year they have the potential to be a pretty good football team. Uh, and you can say, "Well, we we'll get rid of him and bring somebody else in," but then you would have wasted maybe uh, the best group of talent that they're going to have for a while uh, that's ready to play. I mean, to have this many guys back who can play if they get it all together, I think you got to hope that 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 works well. And I do think they're making the point that Clay is kind of an afterthought. And if he wants to be the Clay who's going to be able to lead this program – and and earn you know that uh, the ability to live out his uh, his uh, contract, he's got to win that back. I think kind of you know the powers that be at USC are now saying kind of you know we're we're bringing you back this year and maybe you got brought back last year, but if you want to be brought back next year. Uh, we're gonna have to see something. And if if you're Clay and if you're smart about this, you realize Clay's hope is 
that these coaches are able to help these players be the kind of players they can be, not like the group that put together that awful Holiday Bowl uh, effort or lack of it. I mean, that that alone would make you realize, hey, we're on the wrong path here. You know, we're not doing the right things. We don't understand what it takes to get ready, you know, for a fundamentally sound, uh, you know, really well-coached football team like Iowa was. So I think, you know, I think Clay understands that. I get a sense. You know, now, for, for me, I was always thought, well, this year or the last year will convince Clay or he has to learn from those mistakes. Or, and I was wrong. He didn't. He refused to. He wasn't able to. Some of that was he wasn't able to uh, get the right coaches in here because he wanted to hold on to the guys that were uh, not help him, helping him get to, the, to where he got. Will the fact that he's got, you know, this whole new crew, uh, you know, change things enough? I don't, I mean, you got to hope it if you're a USC fan. Uh, as Keeley said, she wants to be seen. She wants to see it for her, you know, own yeah. self before she believes it. And obviously Ryan does. So, you, you know, you hope they can do it. But, um, man, it hasn't happened so far. Now, this you kind of touched on this, and this is a tweet we actually got that I'm going to throw into our questions. Ooh, nice. Um, Jay Andrade, I believe, said, uh, there's no way that Mike Bone will get rid of Clay Helton uh, in this once-a-century pandemic. He probably gets an extra year to complete a full spring and fall season. So how much do you think, given the fact that now the schedule is not what it, we're accustomed to, will Clay Helton be given an advantage or given more leeway just because these are such extreme circumstances and he maybe not have had a full offseason to prepare for this upcoming season Let whenever it does start? I'll jump in first. Sure. Helton, though. No, this I know there's a lot of fans <laughs> out there that are like, oh, the pandemic's going to give Clay Helton more time. No, it's not. If the if they would have had more time on the front end, if, if Mike Bone got here, you know, got to USC in like June or May, you probably have a different head coach right now. I mean, I'm, that's just my opinion. And it's just the things, the way it worked out, Clay Helton, this will be his fifth year. If you lose, you miss spring practice, everyone else does too. Like, I think there's some disadvantages being USC because they needed to build some momentum and they had all those new coaches. But though, to me, that's just me saying it's going to be, it'll hurt USC because of the situation they're in, but not an excuse at all. I don't look at any of this stuff as being excuses. You got to go out and win. That's it. Like, it, to me, if they cancel all of spring football and they don't even get to go fall camp and you pr- play Alabama the first day, then it doesn't matter. Like, you have to go out and win games. So, to my opinion, this doesn't matter. I know there's fans that are just worried that what are the, all the different scenarios that Clay Helton could still stick around. I think the only scenario he sticks around is he goes like to the playoff. He wins the Pac-12. So to me, that's it. Yeah, if he if he's back, he's earned it. Uh, and and that's unlike the last two years where he didn't earn his, you know his way back. Uh, I think that's the only way and, and that he'll be back is if. He deserves to be back. And I know, you know, for most people say there's no possible way that he deserves to be back. But uh, I, I do think it'll be, you know, pretty cut and dry. He either deserves to be back and he can come back or he doesn't. And I don't think any of the other stuff that went into, you know, being kept the last two years will apply. It's strictly 
does he deserve to be back or doesn't he? How do they play? And um, I, I think it's an altogether different scenario from the past two years. Yeah. What do you think, Keely? I don't know, guys. I, I'm just I'm skeptical about everything. I don't know. I we have to see what happens in the next two weeks, let alone in August. I I don't even know what's going to happen as far as will they let uh, mock spring practices, meaning the NCAA, happen in June and then leave, have a couple of weeks off and then go into fall camp. Okay. I mean, we I hate to inter- I hate to interrupt, but do it. Never ever. Use the word mock anymore when it comes to U.S. <laughs> true. practice. That's a great that point. Has to go out of our vocabulary. It absolutely has to go out of Clay's vocabulary. I don't okay. ever want to hear it again. I'm the one who complains about mock game week, I think, as much as you do, Dan. So I, I will I will erase it from my vocabulary. I, I apologize. reminding you, yes. Yes. But no, I don't know how things are going to go. So I can't even predict what's going to happen with Clay Helton. And before the pandemic ha- happened, I still had my new rule of not predicting what's going to happen to Clay Helton. So I'm not answering that one, Ryan, basically. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. In the history of college football, yeah, I mean, there are things USC's done nobody else has ever done. I mean, obviously, they have back-to-back coaches, two years apart, I guess, fired in the middle of the season. You know, no other major university's ever done that once. USC did it twice back-to-back. And if you can come up with another school where from the 2017 season, from that coaching staff, Every single coach is gone, but the head coach is still here. That's impossible. I mean, you can't survive that if you've had to let go basically every one of those coaches or they all took off for their own reason. And then you're still here. I don't know that that's ever happened in college football history. So you're right. It's probably not uh, of much value to try to predict what's going to happen because – Clay breaks all the rules. Well, we have two more questions. Next one up is from Dustin. He says, knowing that spring sports are effectively canceled and knowing that the revenue-producing sports, basketball and football, are already done for the year, could schools actually be better off financially by not completing sports seasons like baseball and track? Obviously, I'm disappointed those sports won't happen, but I'm curious if schools will have an easier time being in the black since they won't have to pay for things like airfare and hotels in sports that typically don't generate enough revenue to pay for themselves. Thanks, Dustin. Huh, Dustin, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah. (laughs) uh, It it may not save a lot of money. I don't know how much the lacrosse team going to, you know, the East Coast for a couple of weeks costs or whatever. And I'm flying the baseball team around has to cost a, a decent amount. And, you know, they will save that. I don't think USC is close enough to breaking even to where those kinds of savings are going to matter. Don't matter. But USC is a long way last year and this year from breaking even. And uh, so you know, we're, we keep hearing the number $20 million um, uh, in the hole, which is, I guess, also what UCLA is um, in deficit. So I I think you're right. It will save them money, actually. Uh, I don't think it's going to save USC enough money. Not even close. Yeah. I didn't even think about no. that, but you, you do save Good some money. Point. You, you still got to pay all the scholarships. I think that's the biggest expense. But mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and in some ways – 
that's kind of a, a bookkeeping expense. It doesn't cost USC really all that much more to put another body or two in a classroom. I mean, it really doesn't. So the athletic department is paying the university for those full ride scholarships, but it's not exactly like they're, they really, that's a cash transfer that, you know, is costing them, uh, all of that much it's yeah. not it's it looks you know they, they have to do it on paper but it, it to put the number of athletes usc has in the number of classes usc has is probably not a tremendous expenditure when you look at the big picture well we have one final question and it's from dan class of 1962 he says hi keely dan and ryan I agree with all of you about great coaches can develop championship teams at USC because USC is such a desirable brand. Great coaches are not only knowledgeable, but also great motivators. Great teachers distinguish themselves of being great motivators and great evaluators. Can Clay change his personality to become a great motivator? And can he be honest in order to be a great evaluator? These, has been, these have been his weaknesses in my estimation when I judge him as a teacher. Yes, you can have an assistant like Marv Gu or Todd Orlando help with the motivation, but the honest evaluator has to be on the head coach to do it. Just listen to Saban or Dabo's post-game evaluations to see what I mean. Play some old tapes of John McKay evaluating his team's play, especially after the 51-0 Notre Dame game in 1966 and his first year at Tampa Bay. Just be honest with your players and fans. Your thoughts? Fight on! and win Dan class of 1962. Yeah, there's always that unbelievably great line where uh, after a game where they hadn't played very well, and one, uh, a newspaper guy said, what do you think about your team's execution? And Coach McKay said, I'm in favor of it. Uh, I just thought that's the way you'd like to hear a guy, you know, say, you know, I'm in, I'm in favor of their execution. Um, he, uh, he, he probably went the other direction, I thought. And that was a great thing. Uh, uh, and I think that's what we were hinting at with talking about Clay in that first press conference, that it seemed more direct and to the point and not so much, oh, we're hoping or I hope the, you know, the players hear this and they like me or any of that. It, it seemed more businesslike and, and, and just, you know, here's, the, here's what we have to do. And, um, uh, I mean, I think that honesty, you know, there have been you know, where you just say, hey, we're going to play the best players, the guys that are going to help us win. We're going to figure out which five offensive linemen are going to do that and in what, you know, configuration we have to get them on the field. And that's it. Or we're going to figure out we got a ton of receivers. And in order to get them in there, we're going to have to play fast and get in a lot of plays. And that'll help us in the long run against almost anybody we play. Uh, that sort of honesty and just saying, you know, we're going to do what we have to do. And it's not, and, and, and make that happen in practice so that you don't go into games saying, well, I'd like to be able to do this, but I don't know if we're ready to do it. You can't have any of that. You just got to say, this is the way we should play. This is the way it'll help us win games. And whatever it takes to get there, we have to be able to do in practice. And I think, you know, the failings in practice just carried over so much to the thinking, uh, you know, to the attitude going into games. Uh, they knew what they couldn't do. They knew what they didn't trust themselves to do. 
And that's what practice is supposed to do. Convince, you know, your players that they're, you know, they can do and they will be able to do what they have to do, you know, to win football games. And that's been missing. And, you know, whether, you know, Clay can convince himself of that and whether these coaches can convince Clay and how that all works together. I mean, I had some hopes that that might happen with the new coaches last year and it didn't happen at all or not nearly enough. Uh, Now his, you know, with the six new guys, does that change along with the guys that are, you know, only been here a year or two? All you can do is say, yeah, I hope so. Uh, But we don't have any control of that. Yeah. All right. Well, good stuff. Uh, just a little over an hour now, and no more questions, right, Keely? Yep, we're we're done. We're done. So uh, thanks again for everyone for tuning in and uh, some great questions. Keep sending them in. We're going to keep doing the show. So if you want to listen, and we had a lot of people tweet us and post on the message board that they like. They were still doing shows, so I'm uh, glad you appreciate that, and uh, we appreciate you being out there listening. Uh, Keely, thank you for again for coming on. Thank you, thank you. And Dad Weber, thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks to our sponsor, Trader Joe's. And thanks to our listeners out there. And please be safe. Uh, Social distancing, Mm -hmm. everybody, just like we're doing here on the podcast. So hopefully we can all get through this. But we'll be back again. Uh, We're going to try to do a recruiting podcast this week as well, probably on Wednesday. And we'll put it here free on the uh, channel instead of behind the paywall. So uh, if you guys don't get to hear Gerard Martinez much talking recruiting, because we usually have that as a premium podcast for uscfootball.com subscribers, you should be a subscriber anyway, but if not, we'll put it up in the free channel and give you guys an opportunity to talk some USC football recruiting. So if you have any recruiting questions, you can send those in as well. That's Keely, Dan, I'm Ryan. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 